From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room. You know, the one with the wood paneling and the beer fridge and the hi-fi. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods. A big howdy-do to all of you checking us out on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Uh, those who take The Conspiracy Show uh, with you on your mobile device with The Conspiracy Show app. Hello to all of you watching us on the live stream on our YouTube channel. Please hit that red sub button. And hello to all of you in the YouTube live chat. However, and wherever you're listening or watching, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Hey, we are now on Patreon. Patreon.com. Please visit our page there. Patreon.com forward slash The Conspiracy Show and support us if you can. And a special thanks to Denny, uh, our Star Chamber supporter. Thank you, Denny, in Augusta, Maine. Check out my podcast if you haven't already, Conspiracy Unlimited. Drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Conspiracy Unlimited. And you can listen and subscribe at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. And the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. New episodes every Wednesday. Part of the Jericho Network. Available on Spotify. And the Westwood One podcast app. Or you can go to strangeplanet.ca and you can access it there as well. Leon Bibby, the author of Adam Decoded Volume 2 and Adam Equals Alien is standing by. And uh, we are talking about the Sumerian creation myth, the planet Nibiru, the Anunnaki, the ancient alien theory. You mentioned, um, Leon, that the, the last Anunnaki, they left roughly 2,000 years ago. Why did they leave? I think they couldn't survive after the last blast after Sodom and Gomorrah I think it it created such turmoil uh, for them uh, it actually created flooding so all the mines in South Africa became flooded they could no longer mine gold um, it's interesting though that they found gold on the opposite side of the earth in Lake Titicaca in Bolivia uh, because of the flooding uh, it unearthed, through this lake, it unearthed gold um, at the bottom of, of this lake. So they switched mining, Enki switched mining over to Peru and Bolivia from from Africa. But I think the Anunnaki just um, just felt that it was getting out of control. Uh, the familiar, familial issues, certainly between Enlil and Enki, were out of control. And Anu said, let's, you know, come on back. We've got We've got the gold we need. Head back home. Did Enlil and Enki leave behind certain factions that were loyal to either one or the other? As far as Anunnaki or as far as human? Well, humans that were loyal to one, oh. to, to, to one or the other. I, you know, again, this is my theory. I, I think that the Anunnaki, Enki certainly left more of a major impact. I think most of Latin America, uh, you know, the, the, the pyramids in, in Mexico, pyramids in Central America, I think were all initially designed and helped to be built by Enki. Um, he is deified, you know, as, um, as, 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 as a god, in my opinion, in, in Latin America. I show pictures of 
you know, faces of, uh, of, um, Tenochtitlan in the, in the pyramids of, of their god that they believe, um, created the heavens and, and earth. Um, so I, I think he left more of a, of a, of a positive imprint, let's say. I think Enlil, um, was directly related to the Israelites. I think he was the, je- the, the jealous, diff- tougher, God um, that 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 the Jewish people were um, were were worshiping, and I, and I think I think he still is um, deified, in my opinion, as God. But he is right. All right, I'm going to go to the uh, the YouTube live chat for a question, and someone with the handle Thinker wants to know how do you explain the uh, elongated skulls in Peru. That's a great question. You know, uh, scientists have been looking at those skulls for years. Um, they, they've, they're popping up everywhere. They're in Peru, Bolivia. Um, several scientists are living in Peru and Bolivia just, just, just researching them. Um, I believe that they're direct descendants from Anunnaki. I believe that the, the, the skulls weren't, um, weren't man-made, weren't made by some, uh, you know, subs, you know, a lot, a lot of times in Africa, They'll, they'll bind the top of the skull of an infant, which is sort of mushy, let's say, not firm, and it will become almost like an egg-like head. And I believe that this was, uh, this was a deification of the Anunnaki. Uh, but the, in Peru and Bolivia, I think these are legitimate skulls that, that, that are still sitting in museums in these cities of Anunnaki skulls. I, I think these are, these are real. These are 2,000 cc cranium, cranium skulls from Anunnaki, and I think that there's no explanation for them because they're not mute, they're, they're not sort of mutated. Um, they're, they had to have been legitimate. And what do we know of the, the physical description of the Anunnaki from the cuneiform tablets? Uh, did they talk about sort of a conical shaped head? Yeah, they could. They talk, the Egyptians had had it. Um, you know, which would again direct descendants. But yes, you see the Anunnaki with conical shaped heads, especially the women. You see um, the, them in the tablets wearing a headdress um, on top, um, and it stems right down through the Egyptian pharaohs and dynasties. You see even Tutankhamun and Akhenaten all having um, elongated skulls, and um, it. it didn't come from the first Cro-Magnons because the Cro-Magnons had shorter skulls with 950 cc brains. These brains are 1450 cc to 2200 cc, much, much more advanced than Cro-Magnons. So obviously these skulls came from somewhere. Let's go to the phones and Melanie is in Toronto. Melanie, good evening, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good evening. I'm sorry that I only caught the last 20 minutes. But my opinion is, and I would like to hear yours, on uh, the uh, uh, place of Christ in our society and in your theories, because I truly believe that Christ was the final word of our Creator, and I believe that he made two simple statements that uh, the rich man didn't want to admit to, and that was, there are two important things for humanity, there's only two, to love God and to love people. Now, we as human beings are failing in that horrifically, and we have to be careful that we do not confuse those that are of weak hearts, weak minds, 
and we don't treat them and teach them in the wrong direction and read them, lead them down the wrong path so that they want to look for gods everywhere and they want to be gods themselves instead of admiring and, 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 and glorifying the one true God. We, we're not, we can't even conceive of, of, of his power of the, of the blessed designer. And so we have to be very, very careful. I take this as entertainment, as you're saying, which is, I hope, what everybody else is. But I'm really concerned for those that are a little bit, you know, who haven't um, read the Bible, who haven't actually, you know, tried to delve into its meaning and to see that Christ, you know, what's the word for you, um, distilled everything to two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, which means those things are the two things we should be centering our lives around. Okay, Melanie, let me just forgive me, but let me see if I can sort of groove this into this conversation. Um, Leon, how does an historical Jesus fit into this narrative? I think he's one of the original uh, offspring, uh, in my opinion, uh, as was Moses, as was Abraham, as was Noah. I think he was one of the original Nephilim, which is offspring of Anunnaki and human. I think his uh, miracles were real. Uh, I think that he was um, obviously appointed as uh, as the son of God. Um, and uh, I believe that his, um, as you say, um, love God, love your neighbor are two of the most, if not the most important um, commu- communications that we could have in life. So I believe that, yes, he was, in fact, one of the most important if not the most important, uh, Nephilim discussed in the Bible. Hello? Uh, all right, here's a question from Nick on the live chat. Uh, what do you think about the pyramids being used for extraterrestrial communication? Uh, why did the Anunnaki build the pyramids? Leon? So uh, the pyramids, in my opinion, were energy devices. Um, and they needed to use the ley lines of the Earth to emulsify that energy that's beneath the Earth now, everywhere on the Earth. And if you notice, all of the pyramids, and there, there are, there are 10,000 <laughs> pyramids on the Earth, some very small and some very large, some you know about, some you haven't seen yet, but there are 10,000 pyramids, and they all lay along these ley lines, these energy grids. Uh, several people have written books about ley lines and about the energy grids, but... I believe that the pyramids were used for to create energy, to uh, to basically power up their ships, power up their lasers, power up their civilization. So um, it's just interesting that a couple of the authors that I discussed in my book, um, two two of which one is an electrical engineer and one is a one is a chemical engineer, Christopher Dunn, um, talks about the pyramids using piezoelectrical energy, uh, creating hydrochloric acid and hydrogen fuel, similar to how the sun, the fuels that, the, 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 what the sun uses as energy. And he proves this by, by showing that there is remnants of hydrochloric acid and gypsum in both the kings and queens chambers. So there must have been a reason to create these remnants. Um, Cadman uh, talks about the, the pyramids as being a water pump, um, almost like a, a catalyst for uh, water energy 
And he also shows remnants of salt and iron and even gold um, in, in the pyramids. So um, they were definitely used, in my opinion, as energy. I find it very interesting that the top portion of the Giza pyramid is missing. Um, I think that it was, uh, if you look at the pyramid right now, if you look at pictures of the pyramid, you'll see that, that there's, it, it's missing some sort of a, a capstone, they call it. And I believe the capstone was, was, uh, was a crystal, was crystalline in, in nature, and that it used the power generated inside the pyramid um, to, to connect the other pyramids with that same power. All right, Leon, stay put. Adam Decoded Volume 2, the book. More of our conversation after this and your questions and comments when The Conspiracy Show continues. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome back. Leon Bibby stays with us, taking your questions and comments. Is there a correlation, or what is the correlation, between the, let's call it the Anunnaki pantheon and the Greek gods, or the Egyptian gods? Absolutely. I think that the Anunnaki were the pantheon of Greek gods, the Hercules, the Poseidon, and I think that their, that their weapons um, correlated specifically to that god. For example, um, you would have Hercules with the hammer, you would have um, uh, you would have Poseidon with the, the the fork. All of these were actual weapons that um, the Anunnaki had in their possession that basically acted acted as uh, as lasers, acted as devices that just would you know create havoc. And these, I, I believe that these this pantheon of the twelve Greek gods were exactly the same pantheon of uh, or a depiction of the same pantheon of Anunnaki. We talked about the pyramids. What about Gobekli Tepe and Stonehenge? Were they also built with the aid or the direct input of the Anunnaki? I think so. I went to, I went to Stonehenge about three years ago, and I found it to be just fascinating. It, it, it lies on a ley line, um, an energy line, and I found it fascinating that anyone could lift an eight-ton rock and put it on top of two other rocks. You know, for what purpose would that be? That that it wouldn't be for um, it wouldn't be for crop, you know, hel- helping them with the crops. There, it obviously was a sundial of some sort, uh, but it also acted uh, in such a way. Besides keeping time, um, I think it acted in such a way as as an energy creator. And you see, you see evidence of of Stonehenge like circles. Tallinger, Michael Tallinger talks about this in several books that he's written. Very interesting. The same shape as Stonehenge in Africa, Tanzania, South Africa. These circular, I guess you'd say shaped objects. And he believes that the, these circular shaped ob- objects that look like Stonehenge um, were used for energy. Um, um, and so, yeah, I believe as definitely Stonehenge uh, was used for energy. And what was the other one you mentioned, Richard? Oh, Gobekli Tepe. Right. Gobekli Tepe is fascinating. Um, Gobekli Tepe apparently is the oldest um, at at, at almost 14,000 years old, carbon dated. Um, So it it, it predated any civilization that was found, this civilization in Turkey. Um, I'm not sure. It's it's early right now as far as excavation of Gobekli Tepe. 
Um, a, a friend of mine, a fellow author named Collins, has written a book about Gebekli Tepe, and uh, it's it's really really fascinating what's what's being uncovered. But it's only about ten years in, and there's a German archaeologist working on Gebekli Tepe right now who's really really good, and um, giving us information I think biannually. And so I, I believe Gobekli Tepe is going to be another Stonehenge. What are your thoughts on what's going on, apparently, allegedly down in the Antarctic? Uh, we've had a number of dignitaries. We had the head of the Russian Orthodox Church uh, suddenly visit Antarctica. Uh, former Secretary of State John Kerry made a visit to the Antarctica. Uh, it's been suggested there is a massive alien craft, something like three miles in length or width, I'm not sure what the the exact diameter is, that is now being revealed as this, the ice uh, begins melting down there. Uh, how does that fit into this narrative, if at all? I find Antarctica to be so interesting. Um, I've read several books about Antarctica being Atlantis uh, by some authors named Flem Ath, uh, two or three books about this, talking about how Plato discussed it as being an island, looking, you know, an island, Antarctica is an island, uh, being uh, made out of concentric circles, which underneath the ice, uh, we, we have noticed that there is not only uh, lush land there and, and water, but um, concentric circles. So was it Atlantis? I, I don't know, but uh, th- that's, you don't think so? That's a possibility, I don't know. But I didn't, I do know that there was, uh, was a U.S. mission Led by an Admiral Byrd in the 19, late 1940s to Antarctica, and uh, he went with I think five or six battleships, uh, two or three ice crushers, um, and uh, several planes. And I do know that that Admiral Byrd came back saying that there were ships, UFOs that came out of the water and fired upon him and his ships. He lost three battleships. I think one ice one ice crusher and several planes. Um, it was not the Nazis that were supposedly in, in Antarctica at the time as well. So I find that so interesting. Um, I did also hear about a UFO. I, I didn't know how big, but a UFO in the, in the ice um, somewhere in, in the middle of Antarctica. Uh, but I, I, I just find it very, very interesting. And, and yes, could there be an alien presence there under the water or under the ice? Sure, absolutely. The um, the the uh, alleged meeting with President Eisenhower and a group of aliens in 1953, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Anunnaki, yes, the Anunnaki were not, I'm guessing, involved in that since the last no. one departed in 2000. Um, so. Since 2000, since 2000 years ago, when the last of the Anunnaki left, is it now pretty much open season on other extraterrestrial civilizations that want to intervene? Uh, are they doing it uh, with the tacit approval of the Anunnaki? Are they doing it, uh, you know, despite Anunnaki warnings to stay to stay away? I mean, how is this how is this playing out? That's, that's a great question. Um, so what I've read is that there are 57 species of aliens that have been um, given terminology in our in U, the U.S. undercover military and Canadian. Um, so 
So of the 57 species, several of them, and I discuss several of the 10 of these species in my in my second book. Uh, the grays are um, everywhere. The, the the grays come from zeta reticuli, um, and th- there seems to be several different variations of grays: tall, some short. Um, and of the short, there are def- some species sub subspecies of the short. Um, some that are leaders, some that are sort of uh, followers, almost like robotic, if not robotic, followers. Um, so I, yeah, I think I think it's open season. I think uh, the Earth is a very very special place. I think um, we have developed faster than many many races, um, and that people are noticing us. I think after the nuclear uh, first nuclear warhead was set off, they're they're, they're noticing us with, I think. Admiration for the, 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 the speed at which we're evolving, but very, very concerned about our warlike tendencies. And they're concerned because if we continue to unleash nuclear warheads anywhere on Earth, it does affect the rest of the universe uh, because uh, through vibration, uh, because basically everything is vibration and everything is sound and waves, and um, it, it, it has effect. And so they're very, very concerned. And that's why there have been shutdowns in Montana of nuclear facilities just literally shut off uh, by UFOs. Um, there are UFOs all over the U.S. and Canada that are, that are just concerned and um, showing themselves and saying, we're here, and if you continue to, you know, con- continue to have your nuclear warheads ready to, to fire, we're going to do something about it. And so. I've always wondered, though, where were the UFOs in 1945 when the Americans dropped two big ones on Japan? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's a very, very good question because I've I've heard UFOs have been around since early 1900s, and there there have been um, stories about them in 1936, 38, 39, um, and then obviously 43 Roswell and and going forward. I don't know. I don't know. Why they stopped um, Oppenheimer from dropping the first nuke? I don't know. Um, maybe they were going to see. Can they? You know, will they really do it? But I, 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 I don't know. But I think after that happened, it, it created such a shockwave, literally, shockwave um, across other sentient beings that um, we've become sort of that uh, that kindergarten bully um, in a world of uh, mature adults, and they're very worried about us. Getting back to the 53 uh, treaty or arrangement that was made, is is that where permission was given to certain species to abduct humans? Yes. From what I've read through Freedom of Information Act documents um, in Washington, um, in fact, there was a treaty um, between our president um, and uh, their ambassador, one of the Greys ambassador, we'll call the Griata Treaty. And Griata, G-R-E, signifying gray alien. Um, and this treaty um, was a direct exchange on the U.S. The U.S.'s part, uh, the U.S. wanted a military information, lasers, chips, um, anything that would help them in the, in the military sense. And the grays needed, um, needed DNA, uh, human DNA, cow, cow DNA, uh, which is very, very similar to human and human DNA. And the United States apparently um, told them they can have X amount of human DNA and no more. <laughs> and, and apparently the Greys uh, didn't didn't follow along with that. 
<laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I would think the so, uh, that treaty would have expired by now, or should have. Um, Jacques Vallée and a growing number of people who research in this space, who write about UFOs and ETs, uh, Dr. David Jacobs, Nick Redfern, um, are coming around to believing that there is a deception going on here with ETs. Filet wrote a book called The Messengers of Deception. Dr. David Jacobs believes that the alien abduction uh, phenomenon, which has been sort of described as, um, I guess, some sort of a step in our in consciousness or <laughs> consciousness raising. Uh, you know, a lot of people in the UFO community say, believe that there's nothing, nothing nefarious about alien abductions. But you have then people like Dr. David Jacobs and others who believe that there is a, a alien human hybrid program going on. And, uh, this is all sort of a precursor to an invasion. So as I say, more and more people coming to this realization that there is a deception going on. What are your thoughts? I agree. I think there is a deception. Uh, I think there's a lot of very, very bad um, tendencies. Uh, the fact that they're not keeping with their word, based upon the Riyadh Treaty, is uh, is a is a is it is it to me t- tells you, you can't trust any of these gray aliens. I have read about other aliens, however, that are um, tall whites. We call them the tall whites um, uh, from Andromeda. That apparently are very positive and want peace and love and uh, the you know procurement of, of of information and education and evolution and so I do and I have read about other species that are uh, very fond of, of earth and um, sort of feel uh, I guess with all of the intergalactic information that I've read um, start stemming from Orion and Sirius right so several several species have stemmed from Orion and Sirius and then have let, moved on to the Zeta Reticulis, the Nibiru's, to other planets. Um, I think everyone sort of wants to have a little imprint on on our little galaxy, uh, part of the galaxy, and Earth being a, a really important one. I think I think we're very special, and I think um, I think that they uh, not only are looking for resources in the form of DNA from cows or humans, but um, or or raw resource metal resources. I think that um, they're very um, they're very interested in our speedy development, how quickly we've developed, and um, you know, moving from the third to the fourth to the fifth density of intellect. All right, Leon, I've got to jump in here. Apologies, we'll take a break. We'll come back and continue. Uh, Leon Bibby, Adam Decoded, Volume Two. Back with more. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Leon Bibby stays with us. Adam Decoded, Volume 2. The first book was uh, Adam Equals Alien. Uh, Leon, uh, give us a website and tell us where we can get a hold of these books. My first book, Adam Equals Alien, is available on www.adamalien.com, which is my own website, um, or you could go on to Amazon. And Adam Decoded uh, is going through now. Uh, I'm creating a new website for it. Um, because it's part of a trilogy. Um, Adam Decoded is available on Amazon. If you just type in Adam Decoded, 
It's available in Canada, uh, U.S., etc. Excellent. All right, we'll go to the phones, and Ted is in North Carolina. Ted, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yeah, I got a question. What are those little devices around their wrists that look like wristwatches? All the statues and pictures you see of the Anunnaki, they're all wearing what appears to be a wristwatch, and mostly on their right arm. Excellent question, Ted. Leon, I'm guessing it's not an Apple phone or an Apple watch. <laughs> uh, it's a phenomenal observation, Ted. Uh, yes, they're wearing uh, some sort of a, uh, a watch on their wrist. Uh, that's a communicative uh, device where they can communicate um, directly to Nibiru um, or to anywhere on Earth. Uh, it's also a weapon. Um, it's uh, apparently it's an, it emits a pulsating beam. Uh, that can render uh, a human sort of incapable of movement. So it doesn't kill, but it apparently is an, uh, a beam-emitting pulsator. They, they refer to it in, in the Sumerian tablets as the pulsator. And what about the little bags they all seem to carry? Another good question. Um, I know they're not sissy, so, but they all seem to carry these little bags with them. Yeah, I, I don't know what's in those bags. Um, I've, I've seen them in, in several Sumerian tablets. Uh, I, I don't know what's in it, but I have seen it. They're allowed one piece of carry-on. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> All right, Ted, great questions. Thank you for those. Um, when the Anunnaki return, you, you stated, Leon, earlier that you believe it'll be around the year 3100. Yes. Is, is that something that we should be fearful of or look forward to in your estimation? I think fearful. I think uh, it's not a good thing. Um, I think it's going to create uh, a lot of uh, gravitational pull issues. It's going to create flooding. It's going to create, I um, hopefully, the Earth doesn't, you know, the Earth has moved on its axis before, and that's part of the reasons we, we've had the Ice Age and, and, and major, you know, um, evolution, major gravitational and geological issues. But it's going to create a lot of problems, I think, and, they always do come to Earth when it when they're within our our galaxy, and they will definitely come to Earth at that time. So, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's going to be a hello greeting. Well, the sort of the perturbations aside, what about the motives this time around from the Anunnaki? I mean, who's going to be in charge? Is it going to be Enlil or Enki? Are they still alive? I think so. I think they're still alive because, you know, it's from the Egyptian king's list. I don't know if you know about this, but there's a Sumerian tablet that's square, rectangular, and it has the Egyptian king's list. And it lists all of the kings of the Egyptian dynasty. And you'll notice that each of these kings lived between, or reigned, between 4,000 and up to 26,000 years. Now, some people say, oh, it's not really a year. Uh, it's it's in 26,000 divided by seven or divided by six the sexagesimal system. I think it's legitimate. I think it's twenty six thousand years. And I think that these were Anunnaki who lived fifty, seventy thousand years. Um so if that's true, then Enlil and Enki could very well still be alive. And who who do you think is going to be in charge when they swing by the next time? I hope Enki. Because in my opinion Enki is uh Enki's the good guy in, in our development. Enki's the creator of us, in my opinion, again. Um, and Enki is, uh, is 
you know, he's he's venerated all over Latin America as Quetzalcoatl, um, as uh, the feathered being, the feathered god, um, and the pyramids were all dedicated to him. He apparently uh, just created, just educated the people on civil, how to how to be civilized, laws, court system, judicial uh, uh, contracts, marriage, divorce, everything. So um, I think he was basically the, you know, the positive um, protagonist. And I think he loves what he created. And the Sumerian tablets even said that I love my creation, that he said that he loves his creation. And I think that he's, uh, to me, he's uh, he's the most positive, uh, you know, being that that we have seen in the tablets. And if he's in charge when Nibiru swings by again, would you then anticipate that there would be, will he come bearing gifts, in other words? Is he going to kickstart our our human evolution again? Is he going to bestow free energy upon us and these sorts of things? I think so. I think, you know, genius, as you mentioned, free energy, genius is like Tesla, who was a thousand years ahead of his time. Um, with free energy, um, uh, people like Einstein, genius in the, like this Galileo, Aristotle, people like this were almost as if they were his students, that they learned one one-hundredth of his knowledge and uh, tried to apply it to a good cause. And I think that Tesla was really the last greatest scientist um, besides Einstein, of our time, especially as it relates to energy. And I believe that Enki, who's depicted in several pictures um, um, as, uh, you know, in, in, in working almost like an, like an architect of energy, um, would certainly be very proud that, a, you know, a person like a Tesla or an Einstein uh, became what they became. And I think, yes, he would want to hopefully come to Earth, see where we're at, and bring us to, I was mentioning, the fourth density which is like an, uh, almost as if you're unlocking 10% more of that quote-unquote junk DNA and um, becoming super intelligent. If only he had not swung by 40 years ago, I might have passed my SATs. <laughs> All right, we'll come back. Uh, one last segment remains with Leon Bibby, Adam Decoded, Volume 2. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. All right, Leon Bibby stays with us for a short while yet. Adam Decote, Volume 2, is the book. And uh, we are opening the phone lines, questions, and comments for Leon. The Mayan calendar and the Mayans. Any, any correlation between the Mayan calendar and the Anunnaki? Yes. Many people were concerned that 2012... Was it going to be the end of the world, etc.? It just so happens to be the end of a what's called the procession, uh, which is twenty five thousand nine hundred and twenty years, and this procession basically is a solar procession of time, meaning uh, the Earth's progression um, over twenty five thousand nine hundred twenty years um, in relation to the sun's orbit, and so. The Mayan calendar, um, which was almost like a computer, besides um, keeping time, um, it also 
advised when to fertilize their crops, um, acted almost as a, uh, a, a, a fire, water, air distributor where they would basically be advising the, 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 the people, hey, you know, it's going to be hot, it's going to be cold, it's going to be chilly, it's any time, any climate information. But, but more, more importantly was the procession, the solar procession in keeping with, um, time and, 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 uh, the relationship of Earth to the Sun and its orbits. And so, uh, this was so far ahead of its time, it only could have been constructed, you know, by the Anunnaki. The vast majority of the cuneiforms, the cuneiform tablets, I believe are in the London Museum. I mean, they're not for public eyes, correct? Yes, correct. Why do you suppose that is? What's what's on those cuneiform tablets perhaps they don't want us to know about? Oh, it's, that's just so interesting, Richard. I just think that there's, you know, I didn't used to be this way. I used to be a, a sort of a, 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 a layman just believing what I heard on television and on the news media. And uh, now today I... A lot of times I don't believe it at all. Um, I just think that the information in the Sumerian tablets uh, is so powerful and so real that if taken word for word would, would basically shake um, foundations of science and religion to a degree. And I think that even though the Sumerian tablets predate religion, I think people's, um, you know, you're, you're, you're a religious Christian. I'm a little bit religious too. The woman we heard before, religious. I think it would, um, it would. I guess I wouldn't scare them, but it would just basically tell a different story rather than the story we've read from the New Testament or the Old Testament. And um, the word, the plural form of gods, and it says it, you know, on the cover of my book, Adam equals alien. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image and in our likeness." That's what it says in, Ge- in Genesis. It says that also several other times. So the plural is listed more as a as a you know pluralistic deity uh, versus a monotheistic deity. And I grew up believing in one God and only one God. And after reading the, the tablets, it it opened my mind up to um, to to more to several gods with a small g, but several gods um, being our creator and. Um, I think I think that this information is uh, is very powerful, and uh, that this information will probably be scoffed as as mythology. But if it's not mythology, and my first chapter in my in book in my book Adam decoded was myth or mythology, and I believe uh, that I'm sorry, myth or history, and I believe that this myth is history. All right, if you take extraterrestrial out of the equation. And you substitute extraterrestrial for interdimensional. Let's just leave Nibiru aside for a moment. It still lines up pretty closely with what the Bible is saying. Because if we're talking about interdimensional, then we're talking about perhaps an angelic realm. And so then casting the Nephilim as the offspring of fallen angels and humans, it all makes perfect sense. In other words, some might argue... Okay, the ancient alien theory is kind of trying to shoehorn their story into the biblical narrative. And the only thing that separates the ancient alien theory really from, let's say, the biblical narrative is extraterrestrial versus interdimensional. What are your thoughts on that? 
That's really interesting. I think you can discuss the Nephilim and the, the angelic interdimensional beings. It's very, very interesting what you just said, because I've read several authors that have said the same, that it uh, may, may not be exact you know, corporeal beings from another planet. It may be intergalactic, angelic, as you say, beings, or sentient, sentient. Uh, you know, I don't know the, the answer. I think it's really, really interesting uh, I, I like what you said about there being a, a, a timeline symmetry, which I agree with. And I believe in most everything the Bible does say. There are just some things in it that I think that are a little off and maybe goes against some other paragraphs. And so I, that, that sort of gave, you know, lifted up one eyebrow and said, you know, something's up. Something's up. And maybe, and maybe, just maybe, there's more than one author here. And so that's what really got me thinking. All right, let's say hi to Wayne in Scarborough. Wayne, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yes, good evening, gentlemen. I'd like to ask your guest uh, quickly, these Anunnaki. Okay, how does it fit in? If they're the small G God, what about, as the Aboriginal people believe, as the Bible says, the one supreme creator God? Mm -hmm. Like, where did they come from, and how were they created? Yeah, I believe in the big G, too. I believe in the big sentient architect, master architect of the universe. I do. Um, I don't believe it's human. It, it, it is. I think it's a sentient intelligence master um, architect, but I don't think it's human. I don't know anything more than I do know that the Anunnaki believed that there was a big G. So did several of the species of, of extraterrestrials that apparently have communicated with us have told us that there is a master architect that has created the universe, and um, it's more of an, an energy, a light, than a human. And so, yes, I do. I I do believe in, in the big G. And so, where does it come in? I think it, it's uh, it's the master architect of, uh, of of the extraterrestrials and of us. Okay, thank you. Thanks for the question, Wayne. Uh, letter tube. That's his handle, not his given name. I'm assuming Letter Tube on the live chat in uh, on the YouTube channel uh, says that there are 30,000 Sumerian tablets in one museum, but across the globe there are many, many more, and more still in the ground in Iraq. Mm. Uh, do you believe that there are still uh, uh, scores of these tablets still buried in the sands of Iraq? And was this perhaps the reason that? Uh, just prior to the uh, the Gulf Wars, uh, beginning in the early 90s, was this the reason that Saddam Hussein had called for a team of German archaeologists? Uh, they were in Iraq just prior to the war, uh, but it was never disclosed what they were looking for. Is is this perhaps what they were looking for, more of these Sumerian tablets, or perhaps were they looking for a Stargate? And is that the real reason for the Allied invasion of Iraq? They were also did, looking for that Stargate. Where, where did you hear that information? The the German archaeologists. Yeah, I remember reading. I remember reading that uh, just after the uh, the first Gulf War broke out. That um, that um, Saddam Hussein had summoned a team of German archaeologists to to Iraq. Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting that you just mentioned that. Very few people know that. I have heard that. Um, I'll get to that in one second. Uh, uh, Sitchin said that there were about 200,000 tablets. And your, your, your listener is correct. 30,000 have been found 
uh, since since eighteen ninety six. Um, as far as the U.S. and going to war with Iraq, I think yes. I think one of the biggest reasons, besides oil, that we went into Iraq had nothing to do with weapons of mass destruction. Had to do with these tablets, and that uh, they were in Baghdad, and uh, apparently a Stargate as well in Iraq. Um, I forgot what city in Iraq, but it was one of the 12 cities that the Anunnaki originally inseminated. And it was interesting because there was a book written recently about a covert uh, secret operation between the U.S. and it may have been Germany going into Iraq and finding something besides tablets, finding they believe to be a Stargate. And it was stopped immediately. Maybe apparently it was about thirty or forty-five days. Stopped immediately and surrounded by police, and they were kicked out. And and I, and one of the professors from the University of Pennsylvania wrote about this. And I forgot what what town in Iraq it is. I think it's Abtalum or something like that. But yeah, they were kicked out because of this. And I thought that that was just so interesting. Fascinating. Fascinating. So again, uh, leave us with the website, uh, Leon, and where we can purchase Adam Decoded Volume 2 and Adam Equals Alien Volume 1. So you can buy both Adam Equals Alien and Adam Decoded on Amazon. And I also have a website for Adam Equals Alien, www.adamalien.com. But they're they're both available on Amazon, and I'm working on my third book called uh, Blood Origins which will complete the trilogy, the Adam series trilogy. And Richard, thank you so much for having me. I love your show, and uh, it's so interesting to me, and I, I appreciate you giving me the time. Well, I want to thank you for hanging out for two hours. People don't maybe realize how difficult it is, particularly at a late hour, uh, to talk almost nonstop for two hours, even about a subject that you love and are passionate about. Uh, and um, it's it's a huge it's a it's a huge tall order. And I thank you for uh, for being so generous with your time, Leon. Thanks, Richard. All right, we are back next week. John Kerner. We'll be here to talk about the JFK Jr. assassination for the full two hours. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. And let me start that again. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, and what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home, or at least up the stairs. Good night. Thank you.